Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who have chiseled good looks in their joinery. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's show number 414 for October 16th, 2017. Today we're going to talk about frivolous upgrades. Should everyone create content? Is building a workbench a rite of passage? And two blades for the table saw. And we're going to actually start out just by jumping right into our voicemails here. Uh, first one is from Corey regarding UV stability in wood. Hey, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. My name's Corey. I'm calling from Georgia. My question today is about photoreactive woods. I recently came across some really nice figured red heart, and I know that that wood is very reactive when it comes in contact to UV light. What can I do to minimize that response so that the wood doesn't discolor? Uh, appreciate your answer. Keep it out of the sun. Put it in the dark room. <laughs> no windows. This this is a common concern, right? People want to know how to, like Purple Heart, uh, Paduke, there are certain woods that are just going to change color with exposure to UV, uh, and folks want to prevent that from happening. So this is something paint, I never really worry about too much. Paint because it. Paint it. There you go. Paint it the exact yeah. color you want. Oh, right. There you go. You want Purple Heart? Paint it purple. Perfect. Man, that's so, like an epiphany moment right there. <laughs> is there any realistic long-term solution for this that we could recommend? Other than reapply, um, like sand down, reapply. No, refresh I mean, it every every couple of years. Right, like take take a sixty fourth of an inch off and put more finish back on. Yeah, I mean the problem is it's a losing battle. It's it's not yeah. only UV exposure, it's oxidation. Uh, there are things that are just going to uh, it, it's contact with these uh, you know the the normal elements of a piece of furniture just existing in our world. It's at the very most you're you're going to delay the inevitable, and but eventually right. it will get there. It will do what it wants to do. So going through all kinds of crazy steps and putting on like a thick, like an outdoor finish, like a big Epiphanes UV resistant finish, is only going to delay it, and it's also going to probably make it look like crap if it's like an interior piece of furniture because you don't want that big thick film finish on there. So if uh, I, I, the way I look at it is, make sure you like what it turns into because that's what it's going to be anyway. Yeah. If, if you're buying it because of what it looks like when it's freshly milled, then you're probably buying the wrong species because <laughs> you're just up for an uh, uphill battle. Okay. And that was quicker than okay. I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd have more to say about that, but let's go oh. on to, <laughs> to Lyle's question. <laughs> All right. Hi, it's uh, Lyle Friesen from Friesen Woodcraft here in sunny Alberta. Just a little question here about flattening slabs with a router. I was wondering how you guys did it. Um, I've done a couple here and I have a one and an eighth inch bottom cleaning router bit, brand new. Um, it's tough to get a, a finish without little lines across there, if you know what I'm talking about, with the router sled that wobbles a bit or maybe flexes a bit. I just wondered how you did that. I The one I did here was I had to do with a 
belt sander at a 45 degrees 80 grit belt sander afterwards and try and get that all cleaned up um would you expect a finer finish from a rotor bit or um what do you think what do you think on that that's uh and i'd just like to give a shout out to belt sanders i don't hear them mentioned very often but i really love mine it's a bosch low profile uh, one of those square ones you can really uh do some damage with it but i think it's uh, very easy to control it too and i'd uh I really like mine. I really like to promote those things. Thanks for now. I like to listen to Lyle breathe. <laughs> it's very, very calming to me. It's like a meditation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so flattening with a router is something I've done a couple of times. It does sound like he must have some flex in his little apparatus or carriage that he is using for this, uh, because these flat bottom bits typically do, you know, make a fairly flat bottom, but even then they're never really perfect. You know, just the, by the nature, nature of the beast, you're probably going to have a little bit of a variability in the surface. And for me, I just use a number 80 cabinet scraper, uh, to clean it up. It wasn't bad enough to, to require anything more than that. So the number 80 followed up by some simple sanding with a random orbit sander and going up to my final grit and I was done. So, I mean, he might look into reinforcing his sled if he truly thinks that it's flexing and that's creating part of his problem. Um, but, it, you know, belt sander seems like a perfectly reasonable solution. Um, now, of course, we know Shannon uses hand tools for his flattening. Uh, Matt, <laughs> do, have you done a router sled method for your bench? So dismissive. I love it is. It. It just, I did it. Let's not even talk to Shannon on I this did, one. I did it for the bench. I do it for cutting boards. I did it for the farmhouse table. I do it for smaller slabs that fit in my shop easily. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't really expect the finish off the router to be like a finish kind of thing. I, I kind of figure it's more of a roughing operation right. than anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to clean it up. The, the biggest thing, if it's flexing, you would expect it to scoop and have like a cup effect in your in your work. What I usually see is that my setup isn't totally perfect and I get lines because the bit is kind of skewed a little bit or it's not perfectly perpendicular to the travel of the sled so it's kind of at an angle so one corner digs in while the other one's up in the air uh, but it's not usually that much where it's like okay it's rough it's roughed out it's flat let me hit it with my 80 grit on my random over sander and be done with it and that just cleans it up i'm gonna have to clean up regardless because mm -hmm. it's just roughing operation but if it's really bad that you have to use a belt sander something else is up but and it could also be. I mean, I use an inch and a half wide bit, so I have a little more um, coverage per pass. So maybe with the additional passes that he's making with a smaller bit, he's getting more ridges. This to get rid of. Mm -hmm. That could be a thing too. You know, it's all it's all speculation. We're just speculating. Point. We're just speculating. <laughs> speculating. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into our emails. And we've got one here from. Uh, I don't see a question for you here, Matt. So you might want to work on that. Yeah, well, you know, because I didn't uh, didn't pick one, so. <laughs> oh, okay, that explains it. <laughs> okay, I just didn't feel like. Right. The whole two show thing is is really messing with me because yeah. like, oh, I always pick my one question, and then I'm done. But apparently, uh, it's not the case anymore. There's so, a little bit uh, more work, almost double next, the amount. Next of work. time, I will. Yeah. Um, I'll work on that. <laughs> okay. Funny, funny, funny how that doubles. Yeah, two um, shows. So we got hmm. a question from Clem here. He says. Hi guys, fun podcast to listen to. I'm finally getting my shop done after about three years. I'm retired now and I'm getting ready to set up my table saw. It's a pretty old Delta, does a decent job, cuts very good. My question is actually fairly simple. I want to buy two very, very good saw blades. I understand Forest can be the top of the line. My question would be, if you were able to buy two very good saw blades, which would you buy for the table saw? Thank you. Okay, so my first question is why do we need to buy two? Now, I know there are people who like are very, very adamant about using a rip blade and a crosscut blade separately in their shop. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I do nearly 100% of my table saw activity with a 40-tooth combo blade. Uh, I do have a forest blade. I have uh, just recently been using lights blades uh, from the uh, folks at Very Super Cool Tools. And uh, Tenru makes a fantastic blade. You could even buy the higher end Freud stuff. And that's really, really good too. So I find a 40 tooth to do just about everything I needed to do. The quality is where I want it to be. So I don't feel that there's really a need for two. Uh, if I were going to go to two blades, I would probably get a specialty blade instead of going for like rip and cross cut. I would get like a square grind blade. 
Uh, I know Forest has a good number one grind, which has a nice square tooth configuration, and you could use that for lots of joinery applications. So you don't get those ridges. You could do uh, rabbits and grooves, and a lot. It just becomes more uh, versatile for you than a alternating bevel blade. So that's what I would do. I would get a, a specialty blade and then a forty tooth combo and call it done. But that's just me. <laughs> I work with that. I work with that same Forest woodworker too. Like that was like the the first upgrade blade that i bought mm-hmm. because some weird italian guy told me that's what i should buy hey i buy it it's a blade, <laughs> buy it, and, blade. and basically that was the only blade i used other than like when i would use a dado but yeah you know um yeah i just never never saw a need to go any further than that so, i probably am missing out you know i never realized how clean a rib cut could be because i wasn't sure. using a ripping blade but i also never really looked at a, a table saw on edge and went man that looks terrible i yeah. gotta do i need a better blade or it was I got to clean my blade because right. it looks terrible. Well, I know Matt, you, you switch, right? You like uh, having separate blades. I, I do. You just like That's doing more it. work. Uh, what's, what's the deal? It doesn't bother me. I don't understand why people complain about changing saw blades. It's so like a much. whole 30 it's seconds. So fast. It's down not the that toilet. hard to do. Look, I've, I don't I've got, understand the reasoning. I got more important things to do with 30 <laughs> seconds than change a blade. <laughs> But Matt does it fast because he just leaves it running. He just like basically oh, sticks the wrench Stick into the, the bolt and just nails it, and it unscrews and comes off. And <laughs> yeah, I catch it in the air, do a little trick, spin it around, throw it in the cabinet. It is something to uh, behold. I'll tell you that much. Oh, I don't know. So I had this. I had this really interesting thought over the uh, the week as I was out there doing this because I had just used the combination blades for the first time at Mark's shop, and I was thinking about this other uh, corollary that we kind of have pretty often, which is. Um, is a uh, whatever like a horse and a half or horse and three quarter uh, table saw enough power? And some people find it to be not enough power or whatever. I'm kind of thinking now that the people who don't think it has enough power, and the reason I thought it was fine was because people are using combination blades, mm-hmm. and I'm using blades dedicated to exact tasks. So I never noticed an issue because the blades are more efficient at those tasks. Yeah, that makes mm. sense. Does that, does that make sense? Is that a thing maybe? And as long as yeah. they're using thin kerf versions as well. I'm using full kerf on that saw. Really? On, on horse and three quarter, the yeah. old rigid. It was full kerf, dedicated blades, no problem at all. No kidding. Yeah. Hmm. Could very well be. I, I did away with the thin kerf blade. I, I never really saw a whole lot of advantage to the thin kerf blade, so I just went to a full kerf. I just found it easier to do the math too. Yeah, that like, helps a lot. You know, it was, it was more of an even fraction. That makes sense. Okay. Shannon, I think you're up. No, go, (laughs) go. Uh, let's see. This is, is this from Sean? Didn't I already take a message from Sean? I feel like it is. You like Sean. He said, um, specifically, he's actually talking to Mark in this question. Um, cause he says, (laughs) I'm not taking it anyway. (laughs) I'm taking it anyway. I'm here. Good thing. He says, you mentioned, meaning Mark, mentioned the rite of passage building one's bench and how you didn't agree with it. Your reasoning was sound, can't argue with it. So my question is, do you still agree with 2010, Mark? Um, And the single column thing is biting me in the butt now. Um, (laughs) Right. And I want to hear Matt and Shannon's opinion on the workbench and viewing it as a rite of passage. Thanks, guys. Love the show. And thanks for not quitting. (laughs) Hey, that's what we're here (laughs) for. I love that. We are here to not quit. So the reason I grabbed this is because I had, um, to quote Matt, an epiphany moment. And um, (laughs) when when I was doing the building the workbench for that orientation semester I released very recently at the hand tool school, it was kind of like, you know what, there's nothing, I don't know that it's necessarily a rite of passage to build a workbench, but I think what happens is there's so much exposure to like these great glorious Rubo and Nicholson style workbenches with you know, a thousand dollars worth of vices and all this great stuff on it that we think of it as a rite of passage because we think that the bench we build is the last bench we'll ever have. And I don't necessarily agree with that. And I'm, I am a culprit. I built a Rubo workbench. You know, it was like the, I guess, technically the second workbench I ever built, but like the one that I just built was thrown together with construction lumber. It was relatively easy to build. It was bolted together. And the thing you have to recognize is the bench you're building isn't necessarily the last bench you're ever going to build. So all of the like ridiculous designing and planning going into what am I going to need on this bench? What am I going to need 10 years from now on this bench? Build a workbench that's going to suit your needs now, that's going to suit your budget now, suit your space now, and don't 
fool yourself into believing that you're never going to build another workbench. So in that respect, I think it it can be a rite of passage, just getting some exposure to certain joinery, maybe challenging yourself with a new joint or something on it. But don't like overcomplicate the thing and try to make just an incredible, glorious bench that's going to last for 40 years because mm -hmm. who knows what you're going to be doing in 40 years. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, he's talking about an article, I guess I wrote, and I, I should have gone back to read it to find out what my 2010 opinion was actually, you, you know, know, um, I think it was more about build or buy. Um, okay. sorry, there was a little part of this question that I deleted out that I was just trying to trim it down. So he said something about build or buy, and I think that's what your article was. Okay. Well, I think, you know, it can be a rite of passage. A workbench is a very important, critical component to the wood shop. It's very personal to the woodworker. So it has all of that rite of passage sort of juice all over it. And uh, I, I think a lot of times the right. <laughs> the way you phrase things. I don't know. I like to be sometimes. very descriptive. I want to, uh, I want to highlight. Right passage juice. I want to light up your imagination when I describe things. Very <laughs> Lord of that? the Flies connotation. <laughs> did you get that passage juice from my scroll board? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah, that's oh. disgusting. Oh, <laughs> you're awful. Wow. You're welcome. Oh man. Not, not, All we're right. not child friendly okay. anymore. Okay. Well, so the, the thing is with, on this. you know, I really think <laughs> it can be a rite of passage, but like anything that's rite of passage, I think that's, there's a lot of opinion tied to these things. Like, and ultimately who cares? Like the whole concept of a rite of passage is just, it's goofy. Right. But I'll, I'll use that terminology because I think it is a cool project. It's a fun uh, thing. You put a lot of work into it for something that just ultimately is a tool that you're going to use in the shop. So that's why it gets that sort of rite of passage, um, you know, uh, th thing label thrown on it. So whether you call it that or not, who cares? You know, ultimately if you buy a workbench and it suits your, your needs and you could build stuff with it, are you denying yourself something by not building your own workbench? I think some people would say yes, but I don't think so. I mean, if you're just building furniture and you're building what you want to build, who cares? So, I mean, I still agree with myself, even though I might sound contradictory when I say that the workbench can be a rite of passage kind of project, you know, but uh, ultimately just get a bench in your shop and start working. Um, but, you know, yeah. to, to sort of contradict Shannon a little bit here, uh, unless I drastically change my methodology, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm trying to envision a scenario in which I would look at this workbench that I have and think I might need to make another one. Like that, that, now that I have this bench, I have removed the thought of any other type of workbench or, or the need to build another workbench from my brain. Like I'm married to this bench. I don't see any reason why I would ever do anything different uh, than what I have. Even if well, I went more hand tool, you know, I, I can agree with that because the bench you built, I think is at the end of the, the continuum. Uh, I see what you're like, saying. Yeah. It's at one extreme. So people who don't have I mean, I think the Rubo workbench is like the one of the most refined workbench designs out there. It's kind of infinitely scalable. You can do so much with it. But there's a lot of people who look at that and go, man, that's a major project. Yeah, or you okay. look at, you know, now when you start adding benchcrafted hardware and like crisscross mechanisms and all that cool stuff and you have no bench, I, I don't know. I think that's something to shoot for. And what you may find is by building, you know, just something out of construction number that you can start working on, you'll be able to diagnose and, and, and you know, have your epiphany moment mm -hmm. of what's missing from this bench and what would, you know, a better design do for me. Sure. So, well, this yeah, is my I, third, I, this is my third workbench. Yeah, there you go. The mm -hmm. first one was your uh, construction grade lumber and plywood sandwich for the top. Second one was an overhanging, uh, very Stupid. thin, thin top. Dumb. Yes. Dumb bench. It was, uh, with the overhang and the apron, you know, the eight quarter apron around the side and a twin screw Lee Valley vice. And then I graduated to this. Yeah. I mean, what hack can build good furniture on a bench that looks like David Marks's bench? Like, <laughs> <laughs> David Marks has a quick release, a quick screw vice on his workbench. I think a lot of people might be surprised by that. If you, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just in terms of like, uh, the, the, I don't know, quick screw vices are very, or what are they? Quick release vices. Um, they're really handy, but they don't seem to work their way into like classic workbenches. <laughs> you know what I right, mean? Right. Uh, but they're, they're actually pretty damn handy. Okay. Uh, Matt, did you find a question or we just want to skip you? You want me to give my <laughs> thoughts on this? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sometimes we might overlook you a little bit, but like go I'm ahead. I'm hiding in the corner over here. That's all right. <laughs> 
I have an opinion too. I don't really have much opinion that's different from you guys. So <laughs> the I'm on my third bench, just like you are, Mark. First mm-hmm. one was kind of kind of the same thing, except I used the two by eights for like the top laid down flat. Mm-hmm. And then the second bench was two by fours glued up. And then the third bench is the one I have now. And as far as making another bench, the only I can think of a scenario where I would build a new one and that's if I had space and I wouldn't get rid of the one I have now, I would have two benches just to have more workspace in mm. the, this theoretical giant shop I have. Yes. <laughs> this imaginary shop of the future. Yes. I would have like I would probably do like a ten or a twelve foot workbench for the main one with like a ridiculously thick top. So like just massive. I want it to weigh like a lot mm-hmm. because that sounds kind of cool, like a fun project to do where you're like making a top out of like six inches thick at least. It sounds like a friggin' nightmare is what that sounds it, like. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but I, I tend to gravitate towards nightmares. I yeah. don't know why. <laughs> yeah. But that's just it. Like yeah. a single a single slab top, six inches thick, finished. Explains it's... why he joined the show, actually. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes it, it does. does. Gravitating it does. toward a nightmare. <laughs> that's cool, though. There's your show title. Gravitating towards well, nightmares. Well, you do, you do things on a very large scale, you know, so that certainly makes sense. I can. Yeah. And I, just, I think as going back to the content thing, I think it would make interesting content to see someone make a bench of that thickness. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that. I forgot who it was. Uh, I saw it on Instagram. He had done that up here. He flew up here to do it for someone. And um, it was like six inches thick at the top. It was awesome. It was incredible. It's beautiful. And now it's in my mind that I want that, but bigger. Oh, okay. That sounds I think fun. That, that French Oak Rubo project that Shores and yeah. uh, Jamil Abrahams did, mm-hmm. wasn't that like five or six inches thick? Those massive slabs. I know um, one of my um, Hinto school apprentices was part of that. And I got to see his bench in California. And I mean, that was, that was impressive. It was a really majorly thick top and just, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not functionally different, but it just looks. No, it's just, it (laughs) It looks pretty awesome. It's not going to make my woodworking any better, but it's going to look epic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was pretty impressive with my four inch here. Jeez. Six inch. That's crazy. And mine's four and five eighths right now. Yeah. Wow. And that it's actually preparing. that actually leads nicely into our next question about frivolous upgrades. Sure does. Sure does. Okay, this one is from Matt. Uh not our Matt, another Matt. And uh what's an unnecessary upgrade that you've purchased and why was it worth it? For example, I bought uh bought some ketchup and mustard dispensers for glue and found the consistent bead and ability to get into tight spaces to be phenomenal. Another example is that I bought a one and a half inch wide Japanese chisel and found the iron to rest flat on the handle uh, goes in an angle. I'm reading this ridiculously. Um, okay. Something, let's just say it worked great. Uh, small, <laughs> small and frivolous upgrades, but delightful to work with. Uh, what other small upgrades have you guys found um, for me to spend my money on? Okay, here we go. I'm trying to think about this. I look around and I actually see a lot of frivolous upgrades, <laughs> you know, because honestly for me, woodworking, while it is technically a job, it's still something that's really fun for me. Yeah. So there are upgrades that I do just because I want to. So I have trouble looking around and finding an upgrade that couldn't be interpreted as frivolous by someone. <laughs> that's true. Right. Do I need all Lee Nielsen hand planes? Nope. Do I need, you know, $80 a piece Japanese chisels? Nope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's they're because full of glue again anyway. They are. I mean, it's been a couple of weeks since you left. So <laughs> they're all there. Actually, I was cleaning up glue on these frames with one of them. And I'm like, Matt would be very angry with me right now. <laughs> but I saved those for the Narex chisels. You know, I didn't uh. use my, my Japanese chisels for that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, because this is part job, part hobby, it's now something where I've got a business that can justify. That's with air quotes buying things that aren't necessarily entry level anymore. Um, so a lot of what I'm surrounded with is fairly frivolous things. Um, I would say, you know, a lot of the tech that's in my shop, I've got a pretty nice monitor here with a good computer. I, of course I do podcasting and live broadcasts from it. So it's got to be a decent computer, but I've got a gear cabinet right next to me that just has a ton of stuff that I doesn't, it's not as uh, it's nicer than it needs to be. Let's put it that way. Can you guys think of specifics on this one? So you're saying uh, a shop full of Hughes smart bulbs is a frivolous upgrade uh, so that I can do my disco parties. That might be That's the a- best example that we have to work with. <clears throat> now I have the best example, I think. 
Certainly, the new concepts fret saw is a really nice upgrade, mm. but I wouldn't consider it frivolous because I consider it to be probably the best fret saw on the market. But the Elkhead Tools Cocobolo <laughs> handle that I bought to upgrade oh, it geez. is a major frivolous upgrade, but it is a joy to use because don't you have a lathe like three lathes exactly? And so that's what makes it that's what makes it frivolous. <laughs> no, actually, we we don't bring in Cocobolo, but that's all right. Um, it's it adds a lot of weight to the saw, so I'd actually find that it makes the saw work better because it's better balanced now. It's it's bigger for my big giant mitts, so it'd probably be too big for Matt. Oh, yes. But it's I love it, and you know I, I think it's. Totally unnecessary because the handle that came with the new concept saw, especially the ones they're putting out now, is perfectly fine. But this one's cool. It's got mm-hmm. this really gorgeous brass ferrule on it that's got the etch of Elkhead tools on it, which I wouldn't be able to do that on my lathe. So, yeah, there you go. So frivolous to the point where I bought one for my coping saw, too. <laughs> well, they have to match. I mean, let's let's be well, yeah, realistic that's, here. That's Mark's influence. So. Yes. <laughs> It's it's tough. I mean, and I think this this might be difficult for people who listen or or watch the stuff that we do. Um, you know, it's a, there's a natural sort of inclination to emulate what you see other people doing, and I think that is one of the challenges is the fact that you know this is fun for us too. So we'll do frivolous things like this because of the pure love and joy of getting a well made, nicely made tool that just makes life in the shop a little bit easier. But it certainly doesn't mean that these things are absolute necessities for us. You know, so I think it's part of the part of the evolution too. Yeah. Once you get yeah. to the point where you kind of have the tools you need, yes. then it's like, well, you know, what you do look I look for an excuse the, to upgrade. Right. Tool acquisition disorder gotta, never goes spend, away. I got this money I got to spend money <laughs> somewhere, you know. I got this Triton money burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> oh, man. It's so heavy. It's so hot. <laughs> uh, so, Matt, you got a frivolous upgrade to give us? Um, so I'm definitely with with you guys on the like the, the nice hand tools, that kind of stuff. Like yeah. everything in general, like it all works fine. I think my best specific example is my number four bronze because mm. my old restored plane worked totally fine. Exactly the same way. I could pull exactly the same shavings, thick, thin, whatever, smoothing cuts, doesn't matter. But the bronze is just pretty to look at and it's a little bit heavier. And I just feel like, um, I don't know, it just makes you feel good on the inside to hold feel it. good. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I didn't need it. At all, um, but you're welcome, <clears throat> Thomas, for the money. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know what? My check edge my marking knife I would put up there, <laughs> right? You could just use an X-Acto knife. It would be fine. Uh, Shannon, would you like to read this very, very long question here? Sure, why not? This is from Brian, and by the way, this is a little bit more of a serious topic, but it does deal with content creation, and I, I'm actually curious to hear from my co-hosts here uh, on our thoughts of this, abbreviate as needed because it's a very long question. Okay. Brian says, hey, dudes, here's the TLDR because I write too dang much. Jackman Works posted a rustic dory made to Reddit. Reddit tore it to shreds. It made me wonder why the hell everyone seems to think they need to be a content creator these days, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> Am I the only one who feels like woodworking would have remained more a more meaningful part of life if I had never started sharing it with strangers? <laughs> <laughs> Tonight I saw a Reddit woodworking slash DIY cross post that got very popular. The post resonated with me in all the wrong ways, and I felt compelled to share. The project was made. The uh, where where we go? Where we go? Project was made and shared from Jackman Works. I never heard of him, so I looked him up, and he's a content creator in quotes, and, and can be found wherever fine social medias are sold. Paul Jackman. <laughs> con- That's who yeah. it is. Yeah. His content is fine. His content is fine. His products are nice. Reclaimed work is clearly his niche. The post was about a door he built for his grandparents out of lumber that his great-grandfather had left behind. It was in that rustic style that everyone loves or hates. And intentionally left, he intentionally left in bug holes, tool marks, and pith. He made an odd choice of poplar for the panels, but hey, it's his door. So as long as he keeps it, keeps the indoors in and the outdoors out, who cares? I'm not even writing about the quality of his project. It's the response that moved me. The keyboard warriors of Reddit let loose and just (laughs) unloaded on Jackman Works. It seemed to be a personal challenge to tell him his door sucked in clever ways. (laughs) 
Uh, wow. Welcome well, to the that's internet. the internet. So, uh. <laughs> Armchair code enforcers and insurance adjusters let him know all of the ways in which the door would financially ruin or kill his grandparents. All <laughs> this so hate... <laughs> right. When you're least expecting it. <laughs> All this hate for a door intentionally made of ruffled materials with sentimental value. This made me wonder, why does seemingly everyone need to be a content creator today? I personally struggled with this for a while. I sought your advice as well as David Picciuto's. I spent endless hours in YouTube Creator Academy. Oh, geez. Oh, boy. <laughs> Countless dollars on cameras I still can't operate well. Recorded, edited, published, and made a few sweet bucks in YouTube advertising money. Yeah, few is the operative word there. Mm -hmm. Then, bam! About 20 videos in, I realized I was emulating the woodworkers whose content I cut my teeth on instead of walking my own path. Hmm. Why did I want to be a content creator? This is the first I've tried to answer this question. If I'm being honest, I think it's because I love woodworking and content seems like the most direct way to make it profitable in a world that doesn't always reward woodworking skill and labor. But I don't have a good personality or presence for YouTube. I'm thin-skinned and feed trolls. I hate the sound of my own voice and I hate attention. All I really want is to make cool stuff for my family and sometimes share it with other folks who want the same. Being a content creator turned my pleasure into work and putting my projects in front of the critical eyes of strangers sucked the joy right out of the process. <laughs> I've been ignoring my social media for months, but the response to Jackman's works made me clearly realize I'd be a hell of a lot happier if I just returned to the ways when woodwork was something I did for myself, not for the sweet, delicious internal karma. <laughs> <laughs> was there a point to the story? Not really, except that I wonder if there is any part of the three of you that feels like you lost anything as a woodworker when you made the move to being professional content creators. Are there other woodworkers out just enjoying the craft in silence? Are we all just aspiring Walmart brands, Bagnolos, Rogerses, and Cremonas's? Interesting. This is a big, big topic. And I know people don't like to talk about content creation because I think a, a, a large part of our audience are not content creators, right? So they don't want to hear that crap. They just want to talk woodworking. Let's learn woodworking. So let's put this out there. Not everybody does want to do this. Right. A lot of people are perfectly content to build and then maybe share a picture on social media and then call that done. Um, so not everybody does want to do this, but clearly there is a trend toward this. I've noticed on Instagram, for instance, I get constantly uh, requests for a sticker swap, which is fine. But what I get is the, hey, I'm just starting out. I'm brand new. Um, you know, want to help me out with a sticker swap? And I'm just like, I'm just trying to think in my head, what the heck does a sticker swap have to do with this person's success as a woodworker? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm fine with it. I get the social community aspect of it, but I feel like their, their priorities and what they're trying to accomplish um, are sort of misplaced. And, and, what, and I'm having trouble figuring out exactly what are they trying to accomplish. It seems like the I end. I think <clears throat> Brian's got a really good point buried in this paragraph about it seems to be the only way to make money. Yeah. Like instead of selling stuff for, for customers, like how we used to do it, you mm -hmm. know, when I want to grow up and be a woodworker, now it's like, well, I can make money through content. Yeah. And when you start looking at, even like the longtime professionals who have turned to like writing articles for magazines or opening up a school. And, yeah. you know, now some of the guys that run schools, like I just saw William Eng drop Lord knows how much into creating a studio yes. in the he back of his school. Yeah. Well, he stopped doing the school. I think the school's closed, uh, not right. permanently, He's, but temporarily to let him do videos. So everybody seems to be moving towards this. And it's like, well, that's how you end up making your money. But he's so right. It will totally co-opt your skill development if you're not careful and you, oof, that gets real ugly real fast. Yeah, this is tricky. Matt, you're, you're newer to this than, you know, than Shannon and I, but not by much, but a little bit. Do you, what, a lot of it. What do you, what do you think <laughs> about this? I mean, is it a money drive? Is this the, 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 the path to quitting your day job? Is that the motivation? Uh, so what I like, the thing I love about the idea of, content creation like online businesses and what, what we what wow what we do is that literally anyone can do it but it takes the right person that's yeah, the caveat right so like yeah. you, you can literally start anyone can do it anywhere in the world with, with not a whole lot you can do it but it is a huge demanding thing to do if you want to be successful at it uh, i guess depending on what your definition of success is so when i was looking to transition into doing content creation 
from hobby woodworking and hobby video making too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was kind of it was it was it wasn't as hard as it was. It was pretty easy. It was an easy decision. I'm like, this sounds a lot more interesting than sitting at a desk, which I still yeah. do, and working for someone else, which I don't do or for <laughs> right. myself now. But I still have the same amount of desk time. Um, the heck was I saying? Dang it! Hmm. You're talking about your, every time your transition. Yeah. Oh, you, okay, yeah. Yeah, that, I said that okay. The, yeah, but that the I, transition for you was easy. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So when I thought about like I want to do woodworking, I want like or I want to make money from my shop. Um, thinking about the prospect of doing commission work didn't appeal to me at all because I knew what I loved about what I was doing with my woodworking was being able to get into the shop and make whatever projects I wanted to make at the pace that I want to make them or, you know, roughly that pace or whatever. I just want to do whatever I want to do mm-hmm. and somehow make that my career, my way of, of uh, generating income for my family. So content creation was, uh, like the only thing I could think of that would actually allow me to, you know, do whatever I wanted to do, build the projects I want to build, build them in the way that I want to build them and still make money doing that. And just by sharing what I'm doing with the rest of the world, I'm somehow able to make a living at this. Yeah. Cause otherwise cool. if you were just building what you want to build, you'd, you'd make some very cool things and you'd never make any money. Like, hopefully I guess you would build them and then hopefully you sell them afterwards more like an artist kind of thing but I good luck yeah <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> see my issue when when I was building stuff when I was doing craft shows and stuff I just ended up I started to get really bitter because the I would pour all this you know blood sweat and tears into these projects and you know and craft shows are very different than making custom furniture but you know you're selling it for like 10 bucks mm-hmm. 12 bucks you know and it was just like, man, I, I, there's no way I can make a living doing this. And there's no possible way that I could actually price this item to the point where I felt like I was getting, you know, it was worth what I put into it. So then it was, how can I, for lack of a better term, cut corners? How can I make, it was a quantity game at that mm-hmm. point. How can I make more of that widget that I sold at $12? And now I want to sell a hundred of those in order to make, you know, the nut that you've got to make. And then it, it, it lost all joy at that point. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it's mass production and it wasn't really something that I wanted to build or I would do a show and I would sell something that I really wasn't expecting to sell a lot of. And it's like, all right, well, now I need to make more of those. And I didn't really like Makey in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So now I got to go make 12 of them. <laughs> and it was just like, this sucks, man. I, I want to build what I want to build. And, and that will that I think is starting to happen on the content creation side of things, too. And I think that's kind of where Brian might be seeing some of this as well. First of all. It's harder now. There's no question it's harder now mm-hmm. than it was when right I got started, when Mark got started. I started with a Kodak three megapixel still camera that had a video function. That was what I used, you know, 3.1 megapixels to be exact. Mm-hmm. And I did all of my filming on that. And it's very obvious when you look at my original videos <laughs> because the resolution was terrible. Yeah. And at one point, the the motor, the autofocus motor went bad. So it made clicking noises. <laughs> so you watch my videos and there's like this word click word click going yeah. on, you know, but there, there was no thought of going and dropping $5,000 on a camera, you know, and going and buying a bunch of lights and stuff like that. Oh, but yeah. now the level of, of, of professional quality video has gone up so much that certainly it's gotten a heck of a lot cheaper. I mean, an iPhone shoots incredible video, but you know, I was not using Adobe Premiere Pro. I wasn't doing effects and after effects. Nobody was, you know, and, yeah. you know, now all this stuff is is commonplace. It's almost commonplace to see green screens in woodworking videos now. Yeah. I mean, David Picciuto is not the only one who's used a green screen a number of times. So there there is a very high bar to be met. Moreover, there seems to be a lot more data out there about, well, if I built this or if I built these styles of projects, you know, I'll get more subscribers or whatever. Well, if you don't want to build that kind of project, then what did Brian say? My passion is now work. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my fun is now work or what our pleasure is now work. And well, there, there's absolutely, we have so much information at our fingertips in terms of statistics and just, yeah. you can immediately tell what resonates with the audience, what does well. Uh, and I could tell you, if I wanted to if I wanted to maximize my income and get the most views possible, there's a formula I could follow. I would probably oh, yeah. build more shop furniture. I would do more <laughs> shop tours 
Right. And I would <laughs> just build workbenches all day long, man. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a reason why Schwartz does that. Let me tell you. Um, but honestly, uh, I think there, there's a limit to what I want to do. I, I've mentioned this in the past that I can only do so much of that stuff and still be happy with what I'm doing. So I have to draw the line somewhere, but it, it really does. If you look at the, the, the sort of landscape of, of videos that are out there, there is sort of this competition on who could be the most creative, who can come up with the, 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 the project you just never thought of, you know, everyone's trying to outdo uh, one another, maybe not intentionally. It's not necessarily a competition thing, uh, no, but I mean, I think it's good hearted competition. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah people are inspired nice. to do more and to do better, but there's also sort of the, I feel like the negative side of this is everyone feeling like they have to do this. Like it's a, almost mm-hmm. a, it's a, cool kids club in a sense where yeah i could build furniture but unless i'm telling people about it and showing them and getting lots of subscribers on youtube i'm wasting my time so this is where i need to start where they're they're not only getting their tools for the first time but they're also worried about which dslr camera they're getting yeah and i feel like there's been a major focus on cinematography skills and you know i love the first time that jay bates walked on the screen while jay bates was working on a table saw (laughs) that was awesome i was like that's so cool and i immediately started thinking okay how do you do that i'm like oh i should totally do that and then i saw someone else do it and then someone else do it i was like all right come on now that's the jay bates move yeah yeah i I would honestly urge people to really you know deep down figure out what it is you're looking for out of this experience for some people it's it's a community, you know, maybe they don't know many woodworkers locally. This is a great way to connect with other people and the content creation gets them that there's uh, there's a degree of gratification. I think the three of us can certainly uh, attest to that, that the, uh, besides the joy of building something, stepping back and looking at it and going, yeah, I just made this thing. There's additional gratification that I would feel was missing if I stopped doing this. And that is when you show it to thousands of other people and they go, yeah, nice job. There, there's something to that. That feels mm-hmm. good. You know, that's mm-hmm. a, that's that little feeder pellet that keeps us little rats <laughs> making videos. <laughs> you know, we're going back for, for more because it feels good, you know? And, and I think a lot of people are doing this because they want to learn more. So by making videos, you could put these things out there, making content. Uh, you could put these things out there and have a dialogue that's created. Now, sometimes that backfires and that dialogue becomes this Reddit thing with, uh, with Paul Jackman's work yeah. there. And that sucks. You know, but that's yeah. that's the double-edged sword of content creation, and you better be sure you want to get into that because it's coming. You know, especially if you do well and you're good at what you do, you are going to have haters, and it's just going to be part of what you do. Uh, the fact yeah. is, there are plenty of outlets. You know, Reddit is kind of notorious for being a wild west, but you know, I think it's one of the reasons Instagram has grown so much among woodworkers because it actually is a pretty cool community. It is, and and as far as content creation goes, you're posting a photo. You know, I mean, certainly there's video and status updates and there you can game the system and all that stuff. But at its heart, you know, I'll snap a photo or something. And to me, that's very kind of low touch. Hey, this is what I'm doing in my shop. And I enjoy sharing that mm-hmm. because then you get people going, hey, have you tried this or that's cool? I built that last week. And you're make that's the social connection, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's one of the reasons that Instagram kind of has become all I really do anymore. You know, my Twitter posts are based cross posted from Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much likewise with Facebook. But there there is a there is a platform for you. Um, maybe just don't don't go to Reddit. But at the same time, I've seen some <laughs> really cool stuff on Reddit. Like there's some really good conversations happening over on Reddit. It's just sometimes, you know, especially when your post gets popular, which it sounds like what happens with Jackman Works and a lot of the the non woodworkers start to comment on it you know yeah. mm-hmm. that's again so, that's the double edged sword success brings right. with it exposure to other people who are potentially jerks and you know what the thing with reddit reddit's crazy and i don't really do much there other than like a couple of amas reddit has been very good to me <laughs> but it's good to me because <laughs> i don't really post my content there i think if yeah, i actually yeah. tried to get attention you know uh to my content by posting there i might have a different impression but uh yeah i'm i'm okay with reddit <laughs> just adjusted in my relationship with them is perfectly fine. Um, so I don't know. This is it just kind of, we're spitballing here a little bit. Uh, but ultimately I think people need to do a gut check on, on why you're, why you're getting into this, you know? And if, yeah. if, if you're getting, you know, you're focusing your research on which camera to buy at the same time as you're deciding which your first table saw, you know, purchase should be, I don't know. Is that, is that the way to go? Like what, is there a sort of misguided notion with that or is that okay? I had a, um, 
a guy in the hand tool school community the other day, he posted, he was posting pictures of the Rubo workbench he was building. And, um, you have the, you have the ability to kind of have your own little blog in, in the school community. So you could mm-hmm. continue to post like your progress log on this. And like a month went by and there were no updates. And then suddenly it went from like, I was laminating some top boards to, Hey, the bench is done. And he started the post by apologizing. <laughs> I apologize. I haven't done any updates on the bench or I didn't capture any of this on film, but here's the finished bench. And I was just like, dude, that's awesome. Like just the, well, it's not awesome that he felt that he had to apologize, but it's just awesome that you just put down the camera and just got to work. Yeah. Just got work, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's, there's nobody that says you've got to be, you know, updating all the time and posting all these photos of what you're doing. Um, But it seems like that's become like the expected norm now. And I actually even called that out in, a, in an update video I did for the school about, hey, just go build stuff. If you want to share, cool, but don't feel like you have to, you know, yeah. I want to see more finished photos. I want to see finished <laughs> pictures of the project because I, I derive inspiration from that. I don't need to see, let's face it, mostly out of focus photos. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're fine. Of a joint, you know, of a half cut joint that's been zoomed in too far and, you know, it doesn't really make any sense. So. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> At some point, the pendulum's going to swing the other way, right? Mm-hmm. And we're just going to stop posting everything. I could honestly say that if, um, I guess if my financial situ- situation were a little bit different, um, and let's say I didn't have to make content for, you know, to put food on the table and to pay my mortgage, I probably would participate a lot less. I mean, because I, I do feel like the the content does. We talked about this many times, Matt. You've experienced this recently, uh, uh, sort of re realizing how much work you can get done if you don't mm-hmm. have to film everything, right? Um, so I actually would, you know, and if you're if you're thinking about getting into this stuff, take this as a you know at least a data point. Is that someone who's been doing this for a decade would absolutely cut down dramatically on the amount of stuff that I would produce in terms of content. Uh, for the sake of getting better at woodworking and being able to do more woodworking. You know, I would yeah. like to, but I can't, it's, it's part of my fiber of who I am now. I have to do this stuff uh, and it pays the bills. I think people are a little misguided a little bit because they only see like all the benefits and they don't really, they don't really stop and think about like how much, how much work it is and how much you're not really a woodworker anymore. You're just like, if you're actually doing it, you're a video producer that just happens to be producing videos about woodworking. Mm-hmm. So if you want to kind of get a feeling for it, the next time you're building a project, every single time you do any different operation, go sit in the corner for like, I don't know, a few minutes <laughs> and then come back to what you're working on and see how that goes for a while. Get a 20-minute rain delay and then and go then, back to work. And the other problem with that too is like you start forgetting things. Like when you get in the groove and you're like working, you're going through things, you get in the groove and you can kind of go through it pretty quickly. With all the interruptions, it takes even longer because you don't have that groove anymore because you're constantly stopping what you're doing doing something else and then coming back to it again. Mm-hmm. So it does slow down the process a lot. So if you're thinking like, I want to be able to make as many things as possible in as little time as possible, probably not the best uh, path for you. Well, and here, here's another thing that gets me um, thinking about the motivations for this there. I guess in other areas you'll find this as well, especially online careers and things like that. But if you go down the list I could probably off the top of my head name 20 people who started off making videos for fun. Eventually were, they were able to quit their job and go full time in our space. Oh yeah. This happens all the time. That is a huge carrot that people chase, right? And let's, let's take uh, April Wilkerson as an example of a massive success story, right? So seriously, she's got a pilot on what is it? DIY. Um, What? Yeah. 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 So she, she's gone from uh, just a couple of years ago starting to make videos and it's like, Oh, this is cool. Here's someone who's fairly new to this, but she's got like a go get them sort of attitude. This is very uh, relatable and fun to watch her channel explodes. And now she's doing a pilot uh, for a TV show. That's like, the, if there's anything that sort of embodies that, um, uh, okay, this is an international thing, but I'm going to call it the American dream. Um, that's it. <laughs> You know, so she was able to quit her job. Uh, you know, again, there's there's dozens of people uh, who've been able to do that. And that's something that people aspire to, right? And we're all just kind of average people 
I mean, we might be very skillful and, and, you know, some of us can be entertaining and funny, not this show, but other shows. Um, and, and so people look at us and they, they go, look, these are just average schlubs yet. They're, oh, yeah. they're able to quit their jobs. You know, Matt does this full time. I do this full time. Shannon could do this full time, but his wife won't let him. Right. But I'm greedy. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it comes down to. There's <laughs> Sorry, Heather. I know I know that's the truth. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> but but right, that's inspiring to people. And and I think that's that's maybe one of the biggest motivators is there is a little bit of a um, you know, not I don't want to call it get rich quick, but it is like the average person can go from I'm just behind a desk doing my day job to now I build things for a living. You know, and it's fun. And I think that's, that's incredibly uh, tempting to people. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta love the content creation as much as the woodworking. You gotta love the community. You gotta, you gotta love the community too for, for all of its, you know, good and positive (laughs) things and all the crappy (laughs) things. Wait, so is that why I don't have very many YouTube subscribers? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that could, that could be a factor. You never know. Okay, well, I think we've uh, we've uh, driven this one thoroughly into the ground, um, and I think people who hate this stuff really don't like this show. There I turn it. Those of you, those of you that hate this stuff, just let me tell you this: if you're going to bore out a mortise with an auger bit, make sure you're not going to sculpt the backside of the leg or the points of the auger screw will poke through when you when you sculpt it. So there you go. There's a woodworking. Very good advice. Well, that's that's a good way to round this out. Nicely done. Um, All right. How about you give them the contact info? Let's get out of here. That was it. Oh, that was the contact info. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was. Uh, I'm only allowed to talk once at the end of the show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. If you want to tell us how much you hate it when we talk about woodworking content creation, you can do that by sending us a voicemail at Wood Talk Online. Or sorry, I guess you can't send the voicemail. Use your voice memo app or send us a voicemail. There's a no. There's no phone number anymore, is there? All right. We'll call your aunt, wow. your your grandma up. <laughs> Leave a voicemail with your grandma and tell her, make sure you email this to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can leave us a contact woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Leave a comment on this episode on the website, woodtalkshow.com or find us on Reddit or not Reddit, Instagram, (laughs) Twitter. Ask Mark anything on Reddit. Uh, We're at woodtalkshow in all these places and you can criticize all of our Photoshop creations on Instagram because we didn't build them. So go ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. True. And uh, you know what? Go check out Jackman Works. Give uh, give Paul some love. It sounds like he was put through the ringer there. <laughs> yeah. Make, uh, sure, make sure you tell him that his grandkids will survive. Yeah. Everything will be fine. Everyone settle down. It's just yeah. a door. Simmer down now. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. See ya. Bye.